Welcome to Views from the World Tree. On this week's show, we channel our inner Tim Allen and tackle the subject of tools and basic home improvement. And now, on with the show. How long have you been practicing that? Um, not as long as you would think. <laughs> <laughs> that was impressive. That was incredible. <laughs> I gotta uh, tell you. That was always my favorite part of the, the intro back when uh, I used to watch the show. <laughs> oh, All of us kids would try and like, try and mimic it and get the timing like exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was incredible. Ah, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> a, a little bit of uh, muscle memory right there, I guess. Something, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just the age, I don't know. But That could be it. Well, uh, before we go into news, did you ever watch uh, Man of the House? Uh, that's the new one, right? That's set in Colorado. Yeah. And, yeah, and his wife on that show is the, yeah, the ex-wife on Home Improvement. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, I didn't realize that. Or, no, I misspoke, sorry. On Man of the House, the actress that plays his ex-wife is the actress that played his wife on Home Improvement. Yes. So. Not quite. I thought thought that was pretty funny. The few episodes where she shows up and they make references back to, you know, his old job where he used to (laughs) fix things and work with tools. But yeah, funny show. Good show. I remember that. Then uh, Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor Thomas played like the uh, the restaurant tycoon in Denver. Oh, that's right! Yeah. I forgot about that. So, that's right. It had a lot of crossovers. It was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my favorite was that show didn't take itself too seriously. But no, we're not talking about that show, are we? <laughs> we are not. No, it was a good one though. Yes. I see. Good news, everyone. Um, since I opened my mouth, I guess uh, I'll do the news first. Uh, as far as reading, I picked up a book on Audible, uh, part of their Prime catalog, called uh, "Homeless to Billionaire" uh, by Andre uh, Pira. And basic premise of this book is this uh, this guy didn't believe the book, The Secret, like manifesting into the universe and set out to disprove it and ended up, quote unquote, proving it. Um, for those of you on the podcast, I just did the air quotes things because uh, <laughs> you didn't see that. So <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. I still don't believe in like the true power of manifestation, but I do enjoy these type of books that make me think. So I don't know. I don't assume that you've heard this, heard of this book considering I didn't even know about it until I uh, <laughs> needed something to fall asleep to. Yeah, I, uh, I have not heard of this one, so <laughs> I will admit to that. Yeah. 
It, it's good. One thing that I really enjoyed about the book so far, that, and I don't always do these exercises when I read a book, especially self-help book. I usually just listen to it and move on. Um, was setting goals, like life goals. He had an uh, a, uh, exercise in there. And I just decided, you know what? I'm going to try it. And so I wrote down. So the first step of the goal was to write down every everything that you don't want in life. So like, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to be addicted mm -hmm. to drugs and alcohol. I don't want all of this. And then on the next page, once you run out of things that you don't want, you draw a line underneath it. Then you change them all to positive statements. Like opposite of, I don't want to be poor. I want to be rich. Opposite of, I don't want to do drugs or be addicted to drugs and alcohol is I don't want to, or I want to live a healthy life type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you choose the most important things and you put in attainable goals. So like, what are you going to do to be rich? Well, I'm going to save so much money over this next year and invest it in uh, index funds or something like that. Um, and so I actually kind of like that mental shift, like this exercise of shifting from looking at the negatives to turning it into a positive spin to turning goals off of what your wants are. I feel like mm -hmm. that was a great exercise of focusing. So I did appreciate that. Yeah, that is cool. That does sound like something useful came out of it. Yeah. If anything, it at least turned my frown upside down. So <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as far as watching slash playing, uh, I'm down to the last two episodes of Devil in Ohio. Um, and that has taken some really dark turns and it's gotten a little bit uh, creepy suspenseful. So I can only take it in small doses. Still really good. <laughs> um, and then as far as playing... Uh, I re-downloaded Car Mechanics Simulator, and I've been rebuilding nice. uh, fictional cars. <laughs> nice. That is a fun one. One of those uh, relaxing, just kind of pass the time. Yeah. Um, what I like about it is you you have these puzzles that you can do where you take calls from people, and they tell you something's wrong and you try to diagnose it and replace the parts and get the car working again, which is kind of more mentally taxing until you figure out exactly what the computer means by certain key phrases. And then you just kind of go, um, or you can rebuild a car from the ground up, which is usually what I do. Cause you just go buy a car from a junkyard, tear it all apart, sell all the parts that, uh, that won't work anymore. And then you just methodically put it back together. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's, like you said, it's mind numbing and relaxing. <laughs> cool. Um, I, I assume you've played that one before. I have. Yeah. In fact, um, Oh, when was it? It might've been Sunday or Saturday. Um, I, we were sitting in the living room, my wife and I, and I said, Hey, there's this game. <laughs> it's on, uh, on game pass. Cause she prefers to play on the, on the console. Um, so I said, you should load it up and 
see uh, see how you do, and I can be your uh, phone a friend, you know, your lifeline if you get stuck. So I uh, I haven't played it recently, not within the last month or so, but I did watch her play it and kind of coached her through. So that was fun. Nice. How how is it on the uh, Xbox? It's good. Uh, the controls are actually a little bit easier uh, because it's like when you're um, taking out bolts and screws and putting them back in, you don't actually have to target them. Ooh. So you just hold down the button. It's like if you're taking a wheel off, you just hold down the button and it zoom, 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 takes all the, the lug nuts off. Well, so it's got some joy out of it. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit more forgiving. Um but then in, in other aspects, it's kind of hampered a little bit by the, the UI just due to it being on a console. So, Gotcha. But well, it looks really pretty. Um, my The TV that we have is a 4K TV, and my monitor is only uh, 2K. It's 1440p, so it looks really pretty on the TV. <laughs> nice. Uh, the resolution on my TV is not much better than on my computer, so probably yeah. won't look as nice on mine. <laughs> um, and then as far as regular news, I uh, last night I could not sleep at all. I was like in the midst of like this mental breakdown. Um, so I was up late scrolling the internet and I saw something that the FDA advises not to cook chicken in NyQuil. And I went, what the heck is this about? <laughs> um, went down a rabbit hole <laughs> of people apparently cooking chicken in, um, in the cold syrup as a challenge or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh dear. It, it was one of those moments of the, the, the stupidity of people um, never ceases to astound. But uh, I will cover the highlights. Basically, FDA says boiling any, any type of medication changes the concentration. It can be dangerous. Alters chemical um, properties also can be dangerous. And purify substances, uh, which can also be dangerous depending on the substance that you're purifying. So uh, they advise not to do it. In fact, they tell you that it never should be done. NyQuil should never be boiled. And if it is boiled, it, uh, you shouldn't be inhaling it. So that being said, people who are listening, do not uh, boil your chicken in NyQuil. Oh, man, that's what I was going to do for dinner tomorrow. I'm going to have to come up with something else. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, uh, I was blown away when I saw that. I'm like, what? Must, must be the new version of the, was it the Tide Pods, the last one? Yeah, oh. it's funny because I read an article today that said FDA came out with this uh, warning against this TikTok challenge of uh, cooking chicken and NyQuil. But there wasn't a challenge until the FDA said that there was. <laughs> uh, basically saying um, it wasn't happening, but now it is. 
A little bit of a Mandela effect. Yeah. It's funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> so uh, that's the news from my end. Uh, what you got? Uh, so for me, I for my reading, I've, I've got too many that I'm juggling right now. So I'm trying to go and focus on one until I finish it. So I'm back on Failure is Not an Option by Gene Krantz. This was the, the flight director during the Apollo missions. Um, still making my way through that on Audible. It's actually a lot longer than I uh, anticipated. So cranked up the speed to one and a quarter <laughs> and, uh, and that helps. But it's a really good book. It's just, it's very narrative heavy as a lot of autobiographies tend to be. So, yeah. Um, and then for what I've been watching, we, so my wife and I are trying to cut costs a little bit. So we canceled uh, Paramount Plus and Hulu. Uh, so I've been lacking um, or feeling the lack of Star Trek because Star Trek's not streaming anywhere except for Paramount Plus now. They pulled it off of everything else. No. <laughs> so um, I fired up Pluto TV because they have a Star Trek channel that shows reruns of Next Generation 24 7. Um, so I was awesome. watching that for a little bit, and uh, Pluto TV is free. It's just ad-driven if you're not familiar with it. And so I was checking out what other channels they have, and I found that they have a Jeopardy channel that just shows Jeopardy reruns. So <laughs> I uh, I put that on while we were working on canning peaches and pears, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit here, and just kind of have been on a Jeopardy kick since then. And it's kind of making me miss Alex Trebek, but uh, yeah. So that made made myself sad a little bit, but <laughs> it's been fun to get in there and watch. Oh, Alex! And then uh, the only other bit of watching news I saw that the series Andor, the Disney Plus series, uh, the first three episodes came out. It must have been today or yesterday. It was fairly recent. So uh, this is the one that's a prequel to Rogue One. So it uh, has Cassian uh, played by, I don't remember his name, uh, I believe the Spaniard actor and some other people. Like I said, I haven't actually watched it yet. I just saw that it was on there. Um. Yeah, I... That is one of the episodes or one of the shows that um, I would resubscribe to Disney for in a heartbeat. It looks so good. Yeah. Well, I'll check out the first few episodes and let you know if it's good or not. There you go. Uh, we get that one through our uh, our Verizon plan. So we haven't dropped Disney Plus yet. Yeah, we, we dropped everything um, in an effort to save money and then. I ended up getting a part-time job, which covers TV. So we uh, resubscribed to Sling. So we have um, BBC and Discovery and stuff on Sling, but not nice. none of the apps anymore. Yeah. Um, and then, then, so for my other news, not really any like headlines or anything. Just an update on like gardening and canning. Um, so, last couple of weeks, my wife and I have been 
focusing on that, we are done with peaches because um, they're kind of, you know, the season has passed now. So we ended up with 30 quarts of peaches and uh, like 25 to 28 quarts of pears. I'd have to go and count. And then we have a bunch of plums that we're going to make into jelly. Uh, we also have half a bushel of tomatoes in the freezer that we're going to use for salsa. And I'm hoping to get another full bushel off of my plants by the time the first frost comes. So I actually just went through earlier this evening and pruned the tomato jungle <laughs> that I have. So try to get a little bit more uh, sunlight and air blowing through the, the plants uh, to try and help hasten that a little bit. Jeez Louise. Yeah, lots of fruit. <laughs> So you must have had a great year. Uh, I did not have near as much luck. I, uh, I think I have the, maybe six tubers on my potato plants, and I got two two pieces of uh, fruit for my tomato. <laughs> we we got lucky with our tomatoes, zucchini, and cucumbers. Um, our onions and our beets didn't do very well. My pepper plants, I've only gotten like two peppers off of. And then the fruit, we actually just went to a an orchard over here in uh, in West Idaho um, and just got peaches and pears and plums from them. So we don't have fruit trees yet. We haven't, uh, haven't planted any. We're hoping to plant some uh, within the next year once we, <laughs> once we decide where in the backyard we actually want to put them. Oh. All I have to say is uh, when I come out next summer for uh, for our in-studio in show, I expect a quart of peaches and a quart of pears, and I will probably eat it all <laughs> and then drink the syrup. Yeah. We've got them. Uh, actually, when we canned them all, we calculated out so that we could open one every week, like one quart of peaches one week one quart of pears the next and then we ended up with like five extra of each so nice <laughs> we've got plenty so that that's awesome <laughs> yeah that was it for me cool super eventful yeah nyquil and canning <laughs> Um, well, it, it, this is kind of your brainchild topic. Uh, do you want to, uh, give us, uh, an introduction? Sure. Um, so we, this week we're talking about, like we said in the opening, um, basic tools and home repairs. And so I was browsing YouTube a little while ago and I found a channel and I didn't subscribe, so I can't remember who it was. Uh, but it was this middle-aged guy who basically makes videos um, as like a surrogate father figure for people who grew up without a dad or uh, without somebody to fulfill that role. And so it'll be things like basic car repair um, and things like that. And so I thought, yeah, that's kind of cool. That would be kind of a fun topic. And um, you know, as we've been doing this for a year, we're trying to 
stay creative in what we talk about. So I thought that would be a really cool thing to discuss just kind of for people that didn't have somebody in their life growing up to fulfill that role, to teach them about what basic tools should you have and what things around the house should you know how to fix. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I just realized I forgot to switch the overlay on the video. So I will do that now. <laughs> we are and you not have a delay. Show shenanigans. We are not. You'll have to let me know when it pops up because I think you'll like it. I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's dang clever. <laughs> I may have had some extra time on my lunch break. I like it. Let's see. I feel like I need to turn this way a little bit (laughs) so I can look like I'm uh, discussing across the uh, aisle to you. There you go. Which is really weird because it's counterintuitive since uh, (laughs) my my camera's over here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, I like this topic. Um, I I was a little bit nervous for this. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I actually am one of those people that grew up without a father. Um, I did have father figures in my life. Uh, but as far as learning the, uh, how to do things around the house, as far as, uh, fixing things and whatnot, Um, I did not have that opportunity until later on in life when I actually ended up working for a subcontractor and doing some construction. So this, uh, this topic spoke to me on a level, um, that, uh, that I was a little excited to do it myself. So I say, let's jump in. Cool. Cool. Um, so to start off with, there's, uh, some very basic tools that in my opinion, everybody should own. Um, these are things that I would say, so as I was going through making the list, um, I tried to make it as broad as possible. So I think these are tools that are useful, whether you live in like a tiny, uh, studio apartment in Tokyo or even on you know, a big 40 acre ranch in Montana. Um, so it's just a, a list of six very simple things. And I probably forgot some, you know, some, but, um, so the first thing I have is a hammer and specifically a claw hammer, uh, because that will allow you to, you know, pull nails and things. And then a screwdriver set. So two or three Phillips screwdrivers, two or three flat screwdrivers, a tape measure, uh, some pliers, a handsaw and a crescent wrench or an adjustable wrench. And with these things, I think, you know, really the majority of like simple little repairs you can handle with these, these things, you know, you don't need uh, power tools. You know, when I had my first tools, when I first moved out of uh, my parents' house, I just had cheap hand tools from Walmart and uh, it's a good way to start out. Yeah. Um, the, the there's one thing that I would add to your list. Um, 
and I can't remember what it's called outside of the North America, but here in America we call it duct tape. Ah, oh, that's a good um, one. It's its original purpose was to basically create a sealant so air didn't escape from ducts, hence the name. Um, but uh, it's a very strong tape that you can use to fix things until you can hire a professional um, as well. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, really strong. It's got fibers woven through it that make it super stout. It's got really sticky adhesive on it. That's a good one. I'm going to add it to the list right now. There you go. Yeah, I was looking through it. And even as I was looking through the notes, I'm like, oh, we're missing one. We're missing one. We're missing one. Oh, duct tape. Yeah, that's got to be <laughs> it. So uh, I'm glad you took that first step. Uh, as far as nice to house, uh, the next set of uh of tools so these are things that you don't necessarily have to have uh to be able to do basic repairs around your apartment around your condo around your house around your ranch around your car um but they definitely are nice um the first is a cordless drill or a uh, cordless screwdriver and then a level uh which it's kind of iffy now, because uh, I think most iPhones actually have an app where you can use it as a level. Uh, stud finder, socket wrench, and then a wrench set. As far as the socket wrench and socket set and wrench set, I don't use them, but I know people who do basic repairs in the garage use them a lot more. Yeah, especially on uh, working on cars and lawnmowers and things like that. They're really handy. Yep. And a, uh, a power drill is extremely handy. That's probably my favorite thing in the world because it <laughs> saves so much uh, muscle power. Oh, yes. To have yeah. maybe something like that. Speaking as somebody who has actually had surgery for carpal tunnel on one hand and for cubital tunnel on both elbows, <laughs> I really can't use a, a manual screwdriver anymore. It just doesn't work. So it's kind of a must have for me. And that come that doesn't come from uh, construction though. That comes from, you know, 20 years of, of typing with bad posture. <laughs> yeah. You, you're one of those people that, uh, your hobby of playing video games does not help when you are a code monkey. <laughs> it's true. Yep. <laughs> um, so as far as deciding which tool to buy, um, so if you go on the internet and you ask somebody like, you know, what's the best wrench? What's the best hammer? Or even worse, if you say, what's the best cordless drill? and you ask five different people, you're going to get five different answers. And each of those people is going to be absolutely convinced that their answer is correct. And you will not be able to change their mind. What? Um, I know, right? You can't change people's <laughs> minds on the internet. Crazy. <laughs> um, and so I remember when I was first living on my own, walking into a hardware store to try and get like some basic tools. And it's actually pretty daunting, um, especially if you haven't been to hardware stores before. Um, you walk into this place that's as big as like a super Walmart 
but they just sell tools. So like you take the one aisle from Walmart and it explodes into this huge store. Um, and so how do you know what to get? Um, the advice that I've lived by that I think is pretty good actually comes from Adam Savage, who was on Mythbusters. And there's a quote that he says, like whenever he's asked this question, um, he says, buy cheap tools until you know what you really need from that tool. And then buy the best version that you can afford. And this has actually been really great advice for me. Um, there's been tools that um, I bought and, you know, used them for a little while and then they broke. And then I'm like, okay, well, now that I've used it for a year, I know exactly what I'm looking for. And you go and actually spend the money um, within reason, of course, on something that's higher quality. Um, I like to look for things that have a lifetime warranty. Um, and so that's what you spend your money on. There's also though been tools that I've bought. Um, and you know, I find that I don't ever really use it. Like it's maybe it's something I use once a year. And in that case, it doesn't make sense to spend a lot of money on if it's something that you only use very occasionally. Um, one piece of advice that I will say specifically when you're buying power tools is whichever brand and, and family that you decide to go with, try to stay within that same brand. Um, the reason for that is a DeWalt or Milwaukee or Makita drill um, are all pretty much identical as far as function, but the batteries are not interchangeable. And actually the batteries are really expensive, um, like almost as much as, as the tool in some cases. And so what you don't want um, is a different brand of drill, screwdriver, saw, etc. So then you have to juggle three different brands of batteries and three different chargers, and you have to buy, you know, a battery for each tool as opposed to just having two or three that you can rotate through. Um, so yeah, I would I would recommend trying to stay within in the same family. Um, and then like I mentioned just a minute ago, sometimes it is worth paying just a, a little bit extra for brands that offer like a no questions asked lifetime warranty. Um, especially if it's one where you can just walk into a store and exchange it, um, no questions asked. It's usually only a thing with hand tools, not power tools. Um, and my go-to brand used to be Craftsman back before they were bought out and are super cheap now. And now my go-to brand for hand tools is Husky, which is the, the Home Depot store brand, and specifically because they're a fairly good medium to high quality tool and they offer that no questions asked. If you snap a wrench in half, you carry it into any Home Depot and you walk out with a brand new one. So. Um, and then I just had one other bullet point here. Have you, um, ever seen a YouTube channel called project farm? I haven't, I was reading the notes. I was super excited to hear about it. So, okay. Um, so this is a guy who he has a farm and he has built this whole YouTube community around doing super honest, super 
unbiased scientific comparisons of different tools. Uh, he's done everything from uh, like which brand of oil to run in your car to like the whole gamut of power tools, um, saw blades, anything to do with tools. He's done furnace filters and his big thing is, um, so he does have a Patreon, but he's not sponsored by any brands. He refuses all sponsorships. He specifically buys every tool that he tests himself so that he can be unbiased. And he just designs these exper experiments that are um, like super fair to everything, super in-depth. And it's just really cool to watch. And then he uh, compares multiple aspects of each tool. He takes the price into account and then he kind of like ranks everything. He has all the, these graphs that he pops up during the videos. Um, so would definitely, definitely recommend checking him out. Really good YouTube channel. That's awesome. I'm going to add him to my to watch list or maybe we'll just uh, subscribe to him on our, uh, from our YouTube channel so that we can both enjoy him. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, I do want to add one thing uh, as you were talking about uh, buy cheap until you really know what you need. There is one time where I will say buy quality and that is if you have to buy any sort of uh, chainsaw or anything like that because cheap can slip and I just had a buddy who um, severed a tendon in his arm from a slipped blade. <sighs> so um, definitely buy quality if you plan on cutting down or pruning a tree. But that's uh, that's a different episode. Or safety equipment too, I guess. Yeah, Don't cheap out on the safety glasses. <laughs> yep. So just just be prepared. You do get what you pay for. As far as uh, hand tools, yeah, buy cheap. Go to go to Walmart and get uh, Craftsman. Which uh, I was really sad that Sears uh, went out of business and that Craftsman got bought out. But you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, you've gone out, you've bought your your starter set of tools, you are living in a in a house. I, I, I'm going to say a house or a condo, considering most apartments, if something breaks, you can, here in America, at least you call the landlord and they'll come over and fix it. Um. We're going to go over some of the things that you can do with your tools. Uh, simple fixes, simple things to cut down on uh, expenses because constantly calling out and hiring people to come fix things can get really expensive. Um, a lot of companies, especially plumbing, it's like a $75 just $75 just to get them to the house whether they fix something or not. Mm -hmm. And that is expensive. So first things first, how to fix a dripping sock, uh, faucet. Um, this is one of the most common annoyances for most homeowners. Um, and it's also unfortunately one of the most complicated. Um, in the United States alone, there are three to four different types of faucets that are commonly put into uh, houses. 
And generally, the problem boils down to a damaged or dirty washers, O-rings, or grommets, uh, which are all parts of the, the, the end of the faucet. Um, if you're interested in what any of those look like, look them up, uh, Google them, because they are kind of hard to explain. But so before you do any work on your faucet, turn off the water. Uh, <laughs> I remember when I was in high school, uh, I had come home from football practice. My brother was fixing a dripping faucet and he forgot to, he forgot to turn off the water and it was just spraying in his face. He had both hands out trying to, uh, block <laughs> the water and he was just yelling, where do I turn this off? Turn it off. And it was comedic and he probably will hit me for throwing him under the bus if he ever listens to this uh episode but that's important because floods suck to clean up yeah um <laughs> uh to find the water uh usually underneath the sink uh that you're working at there's uh there's valves where the water connects to the sink itself the faucet itself um there's usually one for cold, one for hot. Righty tidy, turn them tight. Uh, open up the valve on the sink before you take it apart. Make sure that it's off and to clear the uh, line of any excess water. And then you're good to go. Um, most faucets are disassembled by removing the cosmetic cover um, over the actual valve itself. You can do this by either prying it off or there's a small screw uh, that you can sometimes find somewhere on the outside of the cover. Um, once this cover is off, there's usually a main screw that holds several parts together. Remove the screw, take apart the mechanism, and as you're taking apart, um, inspect everything to see if there's anything dirty or damaged. Um, I also like to grab little uh, plastic cups, like little Solo cups or little um, Dixie water cups to put all of your screws, nuts, washers, everything in as you're taking them apart. Because the last thing you want to do is get everything ready to be put back together and you can't find what you're looking for. It's horrible. <laughs> and don't drop anything down the drain. Yep. <laughs> I've done that before. Uh Perhaps in our next episode, we'll talk about how to take apart a drain so you can fish out your wedding ring or a screw that you may have <laughs> dropped down there or any of that. But. There you go. <laughs> um, so as back on topic, though, as, as you're taking, um, taking these things apart, uh, you're going to replace anything that's broken. Um, I know in my experience, most of the time it's a washer that's kind of expanded and pushed out and then cracked, um, replace those, clean the dirty ones. And then you're going to try to put the, uh, put the faucet back together, uh, as it came out with the new parts, clean parts, whatnot. Um, uh, in many cases, replacement parts are not readily available. Um, and it may be easier to buy a new faucet, which will also contain all the hardware as well as written instructions on how to mount, how to, uh, how to cut the uh, counter to size and all of that stuff in case you have to do uh, a basin repair as well. So that is how to replace a leaking faucet, a leaking um, 
turn valve leaking anything as far as your kitchen or bathroom sink. Cool. So next on our list, we have how to change a furnace filter. Uh, this one is probably the easiest of all the things on our list. Uh, it's also one of the most overlooked. You should be changing your furnace filter uh, about every six months. Um, so how do you do this? You need to find the size of filter that your furnace requires. Um, and I should mention we're talking, when we say furnace, we're talking about uh, what's commonly used in the United States, which is a, a forced air uh, blower, which has usually heating and most of the time cooling as well. Uh, but the air goes through the same through the same blower. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, so find the, the size of the filter. This could be on a label on the furnace itself. Could be in the owner's manual that we all throw away and never look at again. Or what I do, just look at the filter that's in there and the size will be printed on the, on the outside. So uh, the sizes in the United States are generally in the format of three numbers in inches that say the size of the filter. Um, the other thing to keep in mind or to, to know, I guess, is there's different grades of filters. Um, and unless you have like asthma or other breathing problems, a filter rated at MERV 8 to 13, which stands for minimum efficiency reporting value. So from MERV 8 to MERV 13 is a, a good recommendation. Um, MERV 12 and 13 are nearly as effective as HEPA filters, according to the EPA. However, they are much cheaper than a true HEPA filter, and uh, they do not make your HVAC system work as hard to push air. And in fact, anything over MERV 13 may require a specialized HVAC system. HVAC is heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So uh, personally, I run the MERV 12 graded. The brand is Nordic Pure. Uh, this is a really cool filter that actually contains um, activated charcoal in between the two layers of the filter. And it works really well. But anything 8 to 13, that's the right size for your furnace should fit. So. Nice. Um, I have a recommendation for everybody when it comes to air filters. If you are buying a new house, um, part of the process of buying a new house here in America is to have a home inspector kind of walk you through. If you do not know where uh, the air filter installation port is on your unit, because they are different depending on the type of unit, when it was installed, any of that, ask your home inspector and they will gladly take a look at it because really part of what they should be doing is looking at the AC condenser pump, all of that stuff as well, just to make sure that you're not having to move into a house and then fork over a couple thousand dollars. So just ask and they will point it out and they will also kind of give you some pointers on which size to get for your specific cooling and heating system. So. Yep. Yep. Uh, I hate to say it, but I know this from experience. Our AC unit went out, um, and right before it went out, everything got super dusty. Uh, so we, I'd looked everywhere for where the filter was supposed to be. 
looked, 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 could not find it, could not find it, could not find it. Um, and then when our AC broke, lo and behold, it was inside the unit itself. There was not an actual air intake vent anywhere in the house. It was just pulling air from the basement in. Probably why it got so dirty that it ended up breaking. But uh, yeah, ask on the front end so you don't have an expensive replacement on the back end. There you go. Learn from Steve's experience. Yeah. <laughs> Home ownership, man. I want to go back to renting sometimes. <laughs> if I could find a place that the rent would be fixed, it would be tempting. Yeah, for sure. Um, the next thing on our list is, uh, in my opinion, one of the easier ones, if you have the right tools, uh, and we're talking about replacing a shower head. Um, this one's nice cause you don't have to turn off any main valves into the unit itself. You can just, uh, take off replace, but the first step to replacing a shower head that you want to do is remove the old one. Um, Sometimes you can do it by hand. Uh, sometimes pliers or a channel lock uh, are required. Personally, I don't have pliers big enough, and I don't have any fancy plumbing, plumbing equipment. I will say a good crescent wrench will do the job. If you don't want to scratch, if you're worried about scratching the chrome, if you put a linen cloth around it uh, before you tighten the crescent onto the part you're not going to get a lot of scraping and things like that so um one of our basic tools can be used for this one um, once you have the shower head taken off uh remove the old teflon tape um if there is any uh this is actually hold on just a second teflon that. tape visual aids is a very thin <laughs> piece of tape. I don't know if you can see this very well. Yep. Um, super thin. Put it over the threads and it will create a watertight seal. People will say that, uh, oh, you can use this in gas systems. You can't. Don't do it. There's other things for that. But <laughs> as far as water, this will keep the water from uh, coming out. It's non-sticky. Just wrap it around the threads, put the thing on, and it'll stop. The reason I had this, I just replaced a shower head last week, so I had it up here by the bathroom. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a good plumber will have that on the previous uh, shower head. Um, if they didn't, you don't have to worry about this one. Um, but if they did, you want to remove it and then clean the thread on the pipe. Uh, for this, I actually like to use a wire brush um, to kind of clean everything out. If you don't have one of those, a, um, a pipe cleaner or a, uh, oh, shoot. Or even like an old toothbrush would probably work. Toothbrush, yes, thank you, uh, will work. Um, you don't have to do any abrasive chemicals or anything on that. Uh, just clean it off. Make sure it's good to go. I actually prefer a dry surface. So if you do use a cleaning product, make sure it's dry before you put on the new Teflon tape. You're going to wrap this tape 
clockwise. Um, and I like to start at the bottom and work my way up to the top of the threads. And then after that, you uh, will screw on the new shower head clockwise. So the reason why you do both clockwise, clockwise will tighten it. And if you do the Teflon tape clockwise, it won't unwind as you're screwing the, uh, the new <laughs> thing on. Um, so screw it on. Uh, make sure that there is a rubber grommet inside the head collar. Um, sometimes when you buy new ones off of um, Amazon or Home Depot home delivery, it'll get kind of shaken up uh, in process and might be crooked or um, somewhere else in the box. Just make sure that it's there. Make sure it's uh, in the right alignment. And then uh, you're going to screw that on. Um, and then you're only going to uh, tighten it to the point where it doesn't leak. Um, don't over tighten it because it's a pain to take it off later on. Plus, um, for those of you that don't know thermodynamics, uh, hot things expand, <laughs> cold things shrink. So if you over tighten it, there's a chance that you could actually split seams or do something, some damage if you run your shower super hot. So just uh, tighten it to the point where it no longer leaks. And the, uh, the tape and the, uh, the piping should do the rest of the trick. Cool. Yeah, I've uh, I've broken plastic shower heads before by over tightening them, so don't do that. Yeah. Uh, next, this is something that's pretty common too. Um, may not apply if you live in an apartment, depending on your apartment rules. Um, we're talking now about hanging shelves, photos, etc., on the walls. Really hanging anything. Um, so one tip, just to start off, if you like my my dear sweet wife are uh, uh what's the word don't have a good mind's eye i don't know she has really a lot of trouble visualizing the things before they're actually like in place so when we move the furniture around we end up moving it like four or five different times because <laughs> um, she has to see it um, so if this is you you can use painter's tape or pieces of cardboard to kind of visualize the layout of your shelves and, and your pictures. So that's just a quick tip. Um, as far as the actual hanging of items for lightweight items. Oh, and she's in the, the comments on Facebook. So <laughs> if, uh, if I suddenly go <laughs> offline, you know why. <laughs> um, for lightweight things like pictures, you can use a drywall anchor. Um, if you know, if the place that you want to hang it is not over a wall stud and that will hold it securely enough. Um, for shelves, however, and things that are going to have a load, you always want to try and make sure that they span at least two wall studs, uh, which in the U.S. are spaced 16 inches apart on center. Um, you also want to make sure you're using the right type of screw. Uh, drywall screws are recommended for most light to medium applications. Just make sure that they're long enough, not too long, that they're going to hit something. Also, when planning where to drive your screws, you want to stay away from locations that are at 90 degree angles from power outlets, light switches, and other electrical fixtures. Um, 
This is because electrical wiring tends to run in straight lines, um, either parallel or perpendicular to the studs and to the floor. If you have a stud finder um, that can detect electrical current, use that to make sure you're not going to drill into an electrical wire. You'll have a very bad day if you do that. And then also, if you are hanging items in the bathroom or the kitchen, make sure you're not uh, hanging anything near where the water lines are. If you have to hang something there, make sure you know exactly where the water lines are. Um, and then for heavier items, such as wall mounting a TV, you want to use something called a lag screw, which is basically like a big ass screw with a bolt head on it. Um, generally they come with the mount that you purchased. And since these are, have a much larger diameter, you want to make sure and drill pilot holes into the stud first. Otherwise you will split the stud and the screw will not hold it securely and your TV will fall off in the middle of night and break stuff. So um, also when you're doing something more complex like that, make sure to just follow the included instructions. Usually they are pretty good. A lot of times they'll have a template that you can tape up on the wall and, and mark where you need the holes to be. So that is hanging shelves. Nice. Um, I, I am going to add a little bit on the hanging shelves. Uh, you don't necessarily need studs for it. Um, if you get the, um, drywall anchors, uh, some of the newer ones can hold up to, I think 70 pounds. Oh, wow. So it's not super, super sturdy if you're not in a stud, but, um, these things you drill a hole put the put the anchor in and then as you screw into the anchor itself um it'll actually pull the plastic or pull the metal and create a seam on the back of the uh of the drywall and it just creates more surface area so you're not pulling on something that's a centimeter thick uh you're pulling on something that's uh about five centimeters or two inches thick um just adds a little bit more tension makes it so it doesn't fall off if you don't have access to the studs cool um another thing that i have learned from from experience that i like to do uh take thumbtacks and put it where you would drill your holes and then run a piece of string uh, from thumbtack to thumbtack, and then use your level to make sure the string is level before you drill your holes, and then adjust it from there before you uh, drill your holes or add your screws, and that way you're not putting multiple holes into the wall to find the perfect level. That's a good tip. I actually learned that one when I was doing drywall on construction, so... Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an actual pro pro tip. <laughs> um, <clears throat> here is another thing that I uh, did a lot of when I was working construction, and it is laying caulk. Caulk is a sealant. Um, it comes in basically three different types. You don't need to know all of them. Just know that if you get straight silicone, it won't uh, hold paint. 
without a primer. So just uh, keep that in mind. But most uh, hardware stores will tell you the kind that you need. Um, the uses for it are sealing holes before you paint, um, sealing grout, tile and showers, uh, toilets, things like that. Uh, windows, if you have any water coming in or air in the window, it can seal those. Uh, I've used it to fix holes in siding that I didn't want to replace the whole siding before. Um, not advisable, but uh, you can do it. But that's basically it. Can you think of any other <laughs> reasons to use this? Anywhere there's stuff. a small hole that you uh, don't want a hole. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's not great for filling big gaps, but it's really good for, for sealing things. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> so the first step is to clean off any of the, uh, the old caulking uh, where you are. Um, to do this, you can use a putty knife, a paint scraper, um, anything like that to get underneath it and just pull it up. Then you're going to clean the surface, make sure there's no oils, uh, grease, dust, anything that will keep the caulk from binding to what you need. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, caulk itself comes in two types of containers uh, and you can kind of decide what you need. Um, I prefer a caulk gun. I find it easier to use, but that came from a lot of experience. If you're doing a small job, it does come in a little single-use tube that you can just squeeze on and use it. Um, before you start caulking uh, any project, there's three things that you need. Um, these three things are a lint-free towel, towel, a bucket of water, and a sponge. And not a not a kitchen sponge. Get uh, get something that you don't mind getting dirty. Um, so what I like to do, um, actually, before I go into this, the squeeze tube. Uh, it's like a tube of toothpaste. Cut the tip off at a forty five degree angle. Slowly squeeze. The caulk comes out. Uh, caulk guns. They come in these little hollow tubes. Um, you see them quite often when you go see new construction. There's like. 20,000 tubes of used caulk just <laughs> littering the uh, the side of the house. Yep. Um, these guns is like a ratchet uh, system. You pull the trigger. It, uh, it moves a plunger uh, like one notch in. And as the plunger pushes on the back, it pushes out the uh, pushes out the caulk into wherever you're trying to put it. Um, again, uh, to open it, use a knife to cut a small-ish, as small as you can get where the where the stuff inside actually comes out at a 45-degree angle. I like to turn that angle so it's pointed down. Some people do it up. It depends on if you're, if you're pulling or pushing, um, but that's kind of advanced. Um, and then to lock it in... Um, Usually on the back of the gun, there's a little L shape. If it's pointed up, that means that the ratchets aren't attached to the gear and you can't make it move. Um, to make it work, you kind of point it down. And then when you pull the trigger, the ratchet will push it out. Um, so 
now that we have our application device, we've got our bucket, <laughs> we've got our sponge, we've got our lint-free towel. There's three steps that I like to do. I'm going to take the dry lint-free towel and I'm going to rub all, any dust, oil off of the surface that I'm about to do. And then I'm going to take my caulking gun and I'm going to move it uh, along the seam that you're trying to fill in a slow, steady, um, until you get the hang of it, and then you can go faster. But pull it as you're pulling the trigger. As soon as it uh, clicks, take your finger off the trigger and keep pulling until no caulk comes out. And then you're gonna take on your other hand, your finger, and you're going to push that into the seam uh, as you're going. Um, so you're pushing that into the seam, and then you're gonna take the sponge out of the water, wring out any extra moisture, and run it over the top and that'll get all of the excess um, on the top and bottom of the caulk off of the surface so that you're left with just a perfect industrial, like professional laid seam. Um, and you do that for as much as you can. That's how I find it to be the easiest. And it's also how I find it to make it look the most professional, like you hired somebody without having to spend the money of hiring somebody. Perfect. Yeah. Another pro tip from a pro. I was going to say, sorry, I didn't. Uh, no, nope, I, I didn't go off the notes, but I, I just went off of a lot of exterior painting experience on that one. Yeah, perfect. Uh, it followed the notes like, perfectly. So, okay. <laughs> that just tells me that I got the notes right. <laughs> Um, so next on the list, we have painting a room again, possibly not applicable in a, a place that you're renting. Maybe depends on your landlord. Um, but so painting a room, interior paint generally comes in different types of finish. Uh, it can be gloss, semi-gloss, satin, and flat are the main ones. And then also some paint requires a primer first, but most modern brands, uh, have, paint that offers single coat coverage so to prepare to paint a room empty the room of everything that you can first move all of the furniture out everything that you can get the less that's in there the easier this will be if there's anything that you can't remove then put it in the center of the room cover it with a drop cloth a drop cloth is like a big plastic sometimes cloth um, tarp type thing excuse me um, the next thing I like to do is remove the face plates from light switches and outlets. Um, that'll just make it a lot easier. Um, then if I'm painting the ceiling and depending on the type of light fixture on the ceiling, I may remove the, like the, the glass that covers it. Maybe not. Again, it just depends on, uh, on the job. Um, if I'm painting the trim, I will remove the doors. I like to remove the doors ahead of time so that I don't ding up the freshly painted walls if I have to remove them later. And then I start masking. So mask the baseboards and the windows with painter's tape. This is the masking tape that's typically blue or green. Uh, you use painter's tape because it won't pull paint off with it. Um, and then, so if you're not painting the ceiling, you also want to mask off the perimeter of the ceiling so that you don't get wall paint on your ceiling. Um, 
make sure you lay down a drop cloth to cover the carpet. Make sure that it is taped securely to the baseboards to where if you have drips that run down the wall or if you, you know, mess up and spill some paint <laughs> that it's not going to like drip down under the cloth. Um, just make sure that everything's covered and protected. Um, as far as the actual painting technique, I like to use a brush, like a two inch paintbrush to paint the perimeters and like the vertices of the walls um, and ceiling if I'm painting the ceiling. Um, and then as for the, the larger areas of the wall, I like to use a paint roller um, on like a, a four or five foot extension handle and just use big overlapping strokes. Uh, they make little paint trays that are the same width as the paint roller. You pour the paint in there, you, you know, soak it up with the roller and then you roll it on. Make sure you go slowly, otherwise you'll fling paint all over yourself. <laughs> um, and then as far as like cleanup, um, if you spill any, and also for like second and third coats, make sure you read the back of the paint can. Um, it'll have a label and it'll specifically say um, you'll have times on there for like how long it needs to to flash off before you can recode it it'll tell you how to clean up if you spill um, all of the information will be there so nice did, did i miss anything there um most modern paints uh i would recommend getting water-based instead of oil-based because water-based mm -hmm. you can just uh take the lid off, let the can dry out and throw it out in your regular trash. You don't have to take it to a um, specialized toxic waste facility. Yeah, good point. For once you're done and there's not enough to hold <laughs> on to for patching and stuff. Like don't, don't do that with a full can of paint. It'll take forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is, uh, probably the one that scares me the most, anything with electricity, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go over kind of the basics of, uh, replacing an outlet. Um, before you do anything with electricity, you really have to make sure that there's no power on into the area. Cause the last thing you want to do is to be working with electricity and then have to, uh, wake up from uh, being knocked out in a hospital. Um, so in most houses uh, across the world, there's a circuit breaker um, that you need to turn off. If you don't know which uh, circuit you're, the plug that you're using is on, the easiest way that I find if the plug is functional is to plug in a lit radio and turn it up full blast and then just turn off circuits while you're outside listening to this radio, <laughs> waiting for it to go off. Once the radio goes off, you know that you've got the right circuit. Yep. Is, is there another way that you know of? I, I know I've used a uh, light switch or uh, lamps. And I usually, yeah, I usually use a lamp just cause I don't have a plug in radio, but yeah. Confirming, like, 
I know some people will say, oh, I'm replacing an outlet in the living room and the label on this breaker says living room. But I found that a lot of times that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I always confirm by actually plugging something in and seeing if it's if the power's on or not to that outlet. That's also brings up a really good point. If you move into a new house, um, what I would do is I would do this trick. Um, radio might be hard to like move around, but plug a lamp into um, all of your all of your outlets, and then flip breakers and have somebody tell you which ones go off to make sure that your breaker box was labeled correctly. And if there's anything that you need to relabel, uh, do that on the onset as well. Um, so from here, you're going to remove the wall plate. Uh, this is usually held on by a single screw. Um, looking at mine, it looks like all of mine are flatheads, which I think is pretty standard here in America. But um, mm-hmm. I, I know I have seen Phillips head uh, screws occasionally. Um, you're going to remove the outlet from the box. Uh, this is generally two screws, one at the top, one on the bottom. Pardon me, sorry. <coughs> ah. We got rain today, you would think that uh, it wouldn't be so dry. <laughs> um, from here, um, take a photo of how the wires are connected to the uh, to the outlet itself. Or what I like to do is take uh, some masking tape and um, and write <laughs> what the what point of the outlet it's connected to because uh, switching wires is never a good thing. Uh, you're going to loosen the screws holding these wires to the terminals and you're going to pull the wires free. Um, and then take the old outlet that is either loose or burned out or whatnot, throw it away, recycle it, however you need to do it. And then you're going to attach the wires back to the same terminals on the new outlet and tighten the screws. Um, if Make sure that your two wires aren't touching uh, when you do this because that can cause a lot of issues uh, with arcs and f- possible fires, possibly breaking your new outlet and all the hard-ish work that you did. So make sure that they're not touching and make sure it's tight enough that the screw won't pull out, but not so tight that you're fraying the copper on the wires. Um, Turn the breaker on for a few seconds. Uh, Check for any burning smells or sparks. Uh, Another indication is uh, a smell of tuna fish. Uh, Usually comes if you're smelling melting plastic. Uh, Most wires are insulated with plastic. If you smell that tuna fish smell after you turn on the uh, the power, turn it off because um, you're going to have an electric fire. Also, make sure that your uh, your breaker doesn't flip uh, from the grounding wire in case something is wrong. Um, turn the breaker back off. Push the outlet back into the box. Replace all the screws and the wall plate. Plug in your electrical device and test the outlet once you turn the breaker back on. 
and make sure that uh, both top and bottom, or if it's a side-by-side, -side, left and right side, are all working. And if everything's good, you don't smell anything uh, burning, anything uh, cooking, any fish. Uh, unless you're <laughs> cooking fish, you're good to go. There you go. One other thing I will say, um, <clears throat> the reason we said just note where the wires are and then put them back in the same place Every country has different um, wiring standards and electrical code. So wire colors and electrical outlet designs are going to be different from one country to the next. Since we have international listeners, didn't want to, uh, you know, specify, you know, oh, you know, the black wire is always hot and the bare copper is always ground and the white one is common. Like, yeah, that might be true here, but know we don't want people to try and follow that advice in like the uk for instance so just whatever was there and working on the old one just match that <laughs> for the new one and yeah. what if you are not comfortable obviously call an electrician but i've replaced a lot of outlets it's it's fine i was gonna say when in doubt uh anything my, my rule of thumb is if it could possibly kill me and I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to call a pro. Yeah, and while it might not kill you here, in the UK it definitely will. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, two, 220 is uh, a lot more than 110. Twice, in fact. Lots of volts. I forgot that. I was even in the UK not that long ago, and I completely <laughs> forgot that. They had the uh, the strange ones. So cool. I, I I feel like that's kind of a an overview of basic home improvement, home repair. I had yeah. fun with this one. I think we should do another one. All right, we'll plan for it. Yeah. So maybe we can do one on like car maintenance or or something like that. But. There you go. If you if if you have any uh, anything that you would like to learn about as far as home repair from two not very professional professionals, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, tweet us, uh, leave a comment on any of our uh, social medias, and we'll try to address any questions that you might have. Cool. I think that brings us to the end of this one. Um, so... For mindfulness this week, um, we kind of jokingly referenced a uh, an old TV show here in the U.S. called Home Improvement. Um, and uh, if you're watching the the live show or the VOD, that's what the uh, the video overlay is based on. Um, and on that TV show, from when we were growing up, um, there was a character named Wilson, and he was the the next door neighbor to the family that was the main family. And you only ever saw like his hat and his eyes <laughs> because they would be out in the backyard and he would be, he would like peek over the, over the fence and, you know, he would, he would talk to, to Tim Allen, the main character. And his big thing is he was always very like philosophical. He used to share proverbs and quotes. And one of the quotes that I remember him sharing on one of the episodes was by Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, who is a Scottish writer and it, it just seemed to fit with 
last week's episode being on Scottish festivals. So uh, <laughs> that was the one I picked. Um, and the quote is, I am in the habit of looking not so much to the nature of the gift as to the spirit in which it is given. So to me, this just means um, like if somebody is giving you a gift, whether that's literal or, you know, they're doing something to help you out, whatever, um, whether or not that is like some large grandiose gesture to you doesn't matter as much as what is like, what is the spirit in which they're giving that gift or giving you that assistance? Is it, um, that is more important than, you know, how you perceive it as the receiver. I, I really like that. Um, it's a, it's a good reminder because uh, some of the best gifts that I've ever received have been homemade cards or even just a letter um, written to me. And if you think about the spirit in which it's given, it really helps elevate anything that you receive to a whole new level, realizing that thought, effort, um, research uh, in some cases, like a lot goes into giving a gift. And um, if you concentrate on the spirit in which it's given, you're never going to be let down by what you receive. Yeah, very well said. Very eloquent. Sometimes <laughs> I channel my inner Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I like that quote. I might have to uh, print that out and put it somewhere in my house just as a reminder. Anything else this week? Nope, that was it. Cool. Uh, I guess that brings us to the end of our episode uh, where we discuss what's on tap for next week. Um, so next week, uh, we are going back down the conspiracy theory pyramid uh, of life, and we are going to look at a certain theory that I'm super excited about. And it is this theory that birds aren't real. Um, not going to go super deep into it. You'll have to join us next week to hear about. <laughs> the great bird replacement. I'm super excited for this one. <laughs> I like it. Good timing on that. <laughs> um, thanks for joining. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you guys then. Bye.